You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. It's football season. It is. That's what we, we, we're calling this the start of football season, right? Training camp starts as football season. Yes. Yes. Exciting. It is very exciting. I hope that that excitement carries all the way through this episode of the podcast. I'll do my best. I will also say, if you set too high a bar right now, John Boyle, this is going to be tough come January. So just just understand that while I'm expecting something here, we need to level set for the entire year. Or maybe it's just for preseason. I don't know. We can discuss that after. Every week is a championship week on this podcast, okay? (laughs) We give it our all every week. That is true. It is so good to be with you and talking real football. I know there's preseason games, and we all love preseason games. We can't wait for them to get here, and then the minute they're here, uh, we are ready for them to be done. But it is still an exciting time for the Seahawks. And, John, I think everybody wanted to see – Some of the newcomers, because for a second straight year, it is a huge draft class for the Hawks. I actually am more intrigued by the guys we drafted last year. Is that weird? No. I mean, I think it's easy to be intrigued by them because we saw them do it in, uh, you know, meaningful regular season games in the playoffs. I mean, big performance out of Tariq. Well, I'm sorry, Reek Woolen now. He is no longer Tariq. That's going to take me a little getting used to. Like a money jar because there's no chance I get that right right out of the gate. That and when I make love puns with Julian Love, I should be fine. We are not. (laughs) I'm Um, just going to pelt you with things. But yeah, I mean, that that last year's rookie class, they set the ball, the bar so high. You've got you know, two starting tackles, a thousand yard rusher, just so many guys contributing. And now we kind of wait and see what they do for an encore. You, you know, traditionally that's when guys make a big jump. Yeah. Well, they haven't had the crazy off season that you have when you come into the league with draft and combine and meetings and training, you know, early mini camps and extra training and things like that. I'm really excited. And I think that the Seahawks have a great, great foundation with those guys and they can help shepherd this really large draft class into being productive. Although I don't know how many of them are going to get opportunities given what we've seen so far. I mean, we know that there's going to be some guys that are expected to play large roles, but it's kind of back to Seahawks from a few years ago where most of the starting jobs they've yeah, been taken. It's, it's going to be competitive for those guys to get on the field, which is what you want. Yeah. You want it to be tough for guys to come in. I mean, look, we all expect both the first round picks to come in and have big roles. We'll talk more about the secondary, but where Devin Witherspoon plays is kind of a big question. But, you know, we got, you know, Olu's right in the competition at center. I think you're going to see Mike Morris being in that D-line rotation for sure. So some of those guys are going to play, but how much, you know, they're going to have to go out and prove it in camp in these preseason games coming up. You mentioned Devin Witherspoon. The biggest storylines, I would say, are certainly on the defense. There's been a lot of conversation about the defense, particularly this week, because the pads are on, and I think every defensive player loves that. We know the defensive coordinator does. One always good because I'm happy to get in pads. I'm not a not a big fan of not being in pads because me, that's not real football. I think you guys have heard me call it underwear Olympics before, um, but now it's real deal. I had a great day yesterday. Today we gave up some things that we did not give up yesterday and really overall in camp, but that's good. You know, it gives you something to get on the guys and things that you got to get corrected and whatnot. So, but I love the spirit of the competition. So there was some good, some bad today. 
if fans ever wonder early in camp why everyone's talking about a you know Jackson Smith and Jigba or Devin Witherspoon or all these skill position guys, it's because that's really all you can evaluate. You all know, get questions: How's the new you know last year's? How does Charles Cross look? Or how do the linemen look? You're like, I don't know. If they're not in pads for them, you know, as Clint Hurt so eloquently put it, it's the Underwear Olympics. And now we've seen a couple days in pads where guys are out there hitting, they're being physical, and it. It's really well where the real evaluation can begin on those players. So what have we learned in what they're planning to do? Let's hold the secondary conversation because I think that's a little bit more complicated. Up front, the conversation is around stopping the run. I think they're set up to do that. Yeah, I mean, they're they're certainly hoping so. They made some big changes. I mean, that defensive line is really almost completely new from last year. You look at the guys who played most of the snaps up front are all gone now. They brought in Draymond Jones. They brought in Jaron Reed, who, you know, interestingly to a lot of us, they've they've had him playing a lot of nose tackle, which was not necessarily what we thought his role would be. You know, they drafted Mike Morris. They bring in Mario, sorry. Mario Edwards Jr. They bring yes. in Mario Edwards Jr. I almost called him Mario Williams. My fault. Oh, well, there's We'll there's let NASA take care of that. <laughs> they bring in Mario Edwards Jr. You know, basically all new starters up front. They've got, you know, they love the edge rushers they have. They added that group, Adam Derek Hall. So a lot of new looks up front, and I think it's going to be a group that should really help. And then, look, having Bobby Wagner back when you're talking run defense, that's a big factor, not just because of who he is as a football player and a playmaker, but his football IQ, his ability to get guys where they need to be, nobody does it better than him at that. Yeah, there's two things that you just said that I want to hit on. Number one, the reason you have to fix that run defense. Last year, they allowed 4.9 yards a carry. That is 26th in the NFL. And that was more than a yard more than they had allowed in their previous season. So that was trending the wrong direction. Having said that, they still managed to get 45 sacks. That is a pretty good number. It was tied for seventh most in the NFL. So part of that defense was working last year. And I heard somebody talking in the last couple of days saying, well, I know it's not that easy, you know, to, to stop the run. You know, we, we can say it, but it's just not that easy. Actually, it is for two things. Number one, play the system. And number two, exactly what you said with Bobby Wagner. I don't think the Seahawks were actually playing the system last year. I think that they were trying to make it work with the pieces that they had, but it wasn't the ideal for what they wanted to be running scheme-wise. As we take a look at what this D-line now looks like, and to your point about Bobby, he has seen so much football. You're not going to fool that guy. Yeah. You're just not. Yeah. And there's something to be said, too, just for, I mean, how much they changed last year defensively. That takes some time to adjust to. You wish it didn't, but it does. And they didn't necessarily have all the personnel. I think that's why we saw so much change up front. You you know, you go from one system to a new one, and you can't overhaul an entire line in one offseason necessarily. So you're going to have some guys that maybe don't fit quite as well with what you're trying to do. John Schneider talked about that this, this offseason with, you know, he, he went back to when he was in Green Bay and they switched to a 3-4 with Dom Capers. And he said it took a few years to get, you know, get the right outside linebackers in there, get the right guys up front. And I think that was what they did a lot of this offseason, trying to find guys that will fit that system better. And you have a defensive coordinator who is in his second year instead yeah. of his first year. And I love Clint Hurt, and I think he did a great job last year, but even he knows that there is room to improve and get better. Yeah, I mean, obviously things slow down with the more experience, like being in this role, kind of know what to expect. You know, the anticipation of certain things and, and whatnot has been really, really good. And obviously just uh, of where we need to go with our package and the calls and utilizing personnel uh, better. Because the first year is a world when you're putting stuff together, things you're taking out, things you're adding in. You know, really this offseason was about, okay, where are we going to simplify, execute better, and obviously accentuate, you know, 
your guys to go make plays. So that part's been it's been slowed down. But when you first get into it, obviously learning experience for me, there was a lot going on, you know, first time around. So a lot different this year, offseason, second offseason. Well, and there was so much transition last year. You mentioned the scheme and the pieces. You didn't have Bobby Wagner. You were trying to groom new leaders. You were trying to get to know who you had. Now you know that Uchenna Nwosu is a huge factor yeah. as they have rewarded him. And he has not only provided just that rush off the edge, but some leadership that's needed in that room. Consistent, physical, do his job, great leader. Uh, he embodies everything that you want to look for in a guy to be a Seahawk. Leader, competitive, tough, physical, can do all the tricks of the trade of the job and help bring other people along with him. I really love the Nuosu signing, not just, you know, adding him last year, but bringing him back on this three-year extension. You know, every, free agency is always a bit of a risk. You don't know for sure how a guy's going to fit. And I remember when he got here that first day he signed, he talked about he thought this was a good place to sort of unlock his full potential. He didn't think he'd quite gotten that chance down in L.A. And all of a sudden he comes in here and has just been an awesome player. More, I think more leadership than they didn't. He was a young guy. They just didn't know for sure what, what he would bring in that regard. And he was a leader. He was probably the best guy overall at both playing the run and getting after the quarterback. And they're expecting big things out of him. Although they hope maybe a little less time on the field. They, they maybe over overdid it on his playing time just because it was so hard to get him off the field. But maybe that's where adding to Derek Hall, you can you can spread that rotation out a little bit and keep guys fresh. Yeah, Uchenna was on the field for 78% of the snaps. I have a feeling they would like that closer to 60, 65. Yeah, mid-60s maybe. That's kind of what that's I'm when thinking you, When you're one. deep up there, that's kind of yeah. where you want it. Yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. Again, I, I like what we're seeing up front. I do think it's different when you look at body size and type. Jaron Reed is about 25 to 30 pounds lighter than Al Woods played. Well, as Pete Carroll said when someone asked him about you know him compared to Al Woods, he said, well, everybody's smaller than Al Woods. So <laughs> it's not fair to make that comparison. <laughs> that That is true, but it does kind of give you an idea the Hawks are playing a little bit lighter yeah. up front. Okay, let's get to the back end of that defense because I think that's where people have the most questions. And quite honestly, that's where my questions are because we have not seen Reek Woolen on the field. He had a little bit of a knee procedure done during mini camp and the understanding was we would see him back on the field for training camp I just haven't laid eyes on him yet so that has opened some doors maybe yeah I mean really we've seen guys step up to the to the opportunity which you know really goes back to last year you look at who the starting cornerbacks were in camp and then opportunity rose Mike Jackson and Reek Wollen both stepped up took over starting jobs and never let him go now you've got Woolen. It, the expectation is he'll be back soon. It wasn't a major injury. You know, he's running, doing a lot of stuff. So I think we'll see him back soon. But in the meantime, you've seen Mike Jackson move over from the left side to the right side and just continue off what he did all last year. Just been phenomenal. And then Trey Brown's a guy I think maybe fans forgot about a little bit. He he won that starting job as a rookie and then he got hurt. Patella tendon, really serious injury that he did make it back last season. But, you know, I was talking about that and it, just he wasn't all the way back. He didn't feel quite right, and now he does, and he's playing really well. So I think you know when you take cornerback number five overall, everyone assumes he's going to have a role, and I I still think he will. But I think a lot of fans just assumed he's your starting left cornerback, Reeks your starting right cornerback, boom done. And Mike Jackson's basically spent all of offseason workouts and OTAs and all that just being like, ah, wait a minute, guys, I'm I'm still here and. He's been phenomenal. I remember talking about him last year. He had backed up a number of pro bowlers and had learned different things from them along the way. And as Pete Carroll noted, exactly what you said. 
that work in the offseason is showing up. He's exceeded expectations, and he's continued to do that. And uh, with his season that he played last year, with his offseason that he had, and already in camp, he's already made a statement. He's been going against DK, and they've been battling out there, you know, and uh, couldn't ask for anything more than that. And his attitude is good. You know, he's a big kid. You know, he's 216-pound corner. You know, there's not many guys like that. Uh, and he's really fast, too. And he's taking great pride in his technique and, and the scheme and all of that. So um, he's, he's, not, he's not giving it up for anybody. He's battling to be the, be the guy out there starting. Yeah, I mean, he's just been – I remember thinking, just based off what we saw from him last year, I mean, you remember that Sidney Jones at the time, he comes back from an injury, and I think a lot of us thought, okay, Sidney Jones is going to take his job back. Nope, Mike Jackson held him off. Trey Brown gets back. Same thing. We think, okay, it's only a matter of time. Mike Jackson held him off, and Pete Carroll talked about it last year. Just, he loved that competitor in him, and then as soon as they draft cornerback number five, one of the first thoughts I had is, okay, that's just going to fire Mike Jackson up more, and – He's backed it up with a phenomenal offseason workouts and phenomenal camp. So I, I don't know how you don't have him on the field right now. We'll see how it all shakes out. But that's, I think, a big factor why we're seeing Witherspoon in the nickel spot right now is because they're looking at different ways to get their best players on the field. I would also say after watching Mike Jack play, he is stout. Yeah. I mean, he's, and I, he's not a big corner but he's stout, if yeah. that makes sense, which means at the point of attack or when he's going to make a tackle, I mean, he he makes some good sure-handed tackles, yeah. which is important. And you go back to that same thing that we said about Bobby Wagner of having seen a lot of football. You have to have some of that, right? I love a playmaker like Reek, but we did see, especially early in the season, and, and we knew that there was going to be growing pains, right? Mm-hmm. Until you actually see that you can get fooled a little easier than you might like in those early games. So you put Devin Witherspoon at a different spot. You let Mike Jack kind of start the season. As it looks right now, we're, we're trying to figure this out. And then you just kind of see what you have in a playmaker in Devin because it is clear that he brings uh, some energy and excitement to the field. Uh, I love the spirit and the energy that he brings uh, playing this game. It's infectious, you know, with that young kid. That's just how he is all the time. Uh, that's something that everybody else will build off of. But he had a heck of a day. Super competitive. He's going to tackle. He's going to get in fits. And obviously, we know what he can do as a cover guy. So, really impressive day. That quote came after the second day in pads, which was probably Weatherspoon's best practice so far. And he had a play on the sideline. For fans who've been out here, generally, you know, things get a little more physical in pads are on, but they're not actually tackling. And he had a play on the sideline where D'Esker had a nice little catch and run, and Weatherspoon just hits him on the sideline. They both go to the ground on the sideline, get up, jawn at each other. Not like, you know, it was nothing like nasty and, you know, nothing close to a fight or anything, but just they were in each other's face. John all the way back to the huddle, I think having fun with it. And he had a couple of those in that practice where – He's just a fiery, energetic dude, and I think that will bring a lot to this defense wherever you play him. And that's a lot of pent-up energy for defensive players who haven't been able to hit anybody for six and a half months. I mean, my gosh. You mentioned D. Eskridge. That is going to be an interesting position. I don't want to say battle, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do because as we flip things over to the offensive side, there's not a lot of question marks, I don't think. I think everything is pretty much decided. And I think the Hawks went out and drafted their number three wide receiver. And then you mentioned the Eskridge's name, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, It's interesting because, to your point, you go out and draft a receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba 20th overall, and you kind of assume, and they've never drafted a receiver that high since Pete and John have been here. You, you're thinking, okay, he's the number three guy. And look, he's looked every bit of that out there. He's been phenomenal. He looks very much like he's ready to be a big contributor. But at the same time, D. Eskridge is finally looking like the guy they were hoping to get when they drafted him a couple of years ago in the second round where he's just, unfortunately, he's been hurt so much he hasn't been able to show it, but he's looked 
great out there. He's so fast and explosive. I mean, you just – if he can have a healthy stretch here, I think he's going to find a way to contribute to this offense. I will point out those two are very different wide receivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, totally. one of the reasons they drafted D. Eskridge was because of the system Shane – I almost called him Shane Smith – because of the system that Shane Waldron was bringing in from L.A., you envision D on some of those screenplays or some of those fly sweeps, yeah. and we just haven't seen a lot of that. Jackson Smith and Jigba should be working probably a little bit more out of the slot, which mm-hmm. I love because I don't need to see Tyler Lockett getting those tough yards on the inside. I just don't. Yeah. He can. I'd like to save his body for the big touches in the end zone. You know what I mean? For sure. That's what I've got on that one. But uh, two different wide receivers – I do think that spot is pretty much settled, and I know that Pete Carroll loves what he's seen from that rookie. He's really a gifted athlete. You know, the time, uh, timing, uh, hand-eye, body control, um, extraordinary natural quickness. He, he makes things look really easy, and uh, I, I can't imagine him not being part of the mix. You know, right from the right from the beginning, uh, it's just it just comes too easy for him. So uh, we're we're looking uh, we're looking for the spots that we can put him in, and, and how to move him around and see how much he can handle. Uh, but there's nothing to hold him back. Well, he is certainly going to make Geno's life easier. And before we get to what we've seen from the Seahawks quarterback, our fantasy insider Scott Engel offers this strategy for drafting your QB. Gone are the days when fantasy football analysts used to tell you to wait on a quarterback because you can't do it anymore. The latest average draft position reports indicate that the top three fantasy quarterbacks are going in the first two rounds and the top seven are going within the first four rounds. And... If you want to take a leap from one of those top three fantasy quarterbacks that include Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts, it's worth it to do so. Last season, those three quarterbacks averaged over 24 fantasy points per game, and no other players at the position averaged over 21.7. If you want to stay within that top seven and also go for Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, Justin Herberts, that also makes sense. Last season, only six quarterbacks who started regularly averaged over 20 fantasy points per game, and the seventh highest scoring player at the position who played regularly scored just over 18 points per game fantasy-wise. Jackson is going to generally go within the top five. He averaged 20.3 fantasy points per game last season, and he's now set to work with the best receiving crew of his career. But Justin Fields is somebody that I love for upside within that top five at fantasy quarterback. Last year, he ranked seventh in the NFL with 1,143 rushing yards. No quarterback came close to that last year, and they're going to continue to let him loose as a rusher this year while his receiving crew has also improved. Just outside that top seven, there are other comfortable starters. You look at Trevor Lawrence. He finished as fantasy QB 8 last year. I have him ranked as 8th as he can continue to rise this year. Also, I have Daniel Jones inside my top 10 as he rushed for 700 plus yards last year and 7 touchdowns on his way to a QB 9 finish. Also averaged inside the top 10 at points per game and his receiving crew has improved. You'll also find within my top 12, Dak Prescott, Tua Tunga Viola, who has the, one of the best receiving crews in the NFL and can finish inside the top five this year. Deshaun Watson, last time we saw him play a full season as a starter, he was a top five fantasy quarterback. And just outside that top 12 range, 
Anthony Richardson has a ton of upside as a rusher, as a rookie for the Indianapolis Colts. And of course, we cannot forget about Geno Smith. Last season, he finished his fantasy quarterback five and was one of the top waiver wire pickups early in the season. His 30 touchdown passes were fourth best in the NFL. And according to playerprofiler.com, he also ranked third in deep ball accuracy rating and fifth in deep ball completion percentage. And this year, he could have the best receiving trio in the National Football League. When you add exciting rookie Jackson Smith Najigba to an outstanding duo that already includes DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Geno Smith is instantly and automatically a high-end fantasy quarterback two coming into this year, and he could be a fantasy quarterback one again this season. He's in a range of comfortable starters that also include Aaron Rodgers, also Kirk Cousins. Then if you're looking for value, Russell Wilson could have a bounce-back season this year as Sean Payton takes over for the Denver Broncos. Jordan Love could be a sleeper as the Green Bay Packers have cleared the way for him to be a regular starter. Also, Matthew Stafford will be healthy, and Kyler Murray you can get in the late rounds, and he can be a QB1 again when he returns. You also have to keep those deeper quarterbacks in mind, too, if you're playing now in a Superflex league. A lot more fantasy football players are taking to the Superflex format where you can start a quarterback as a second starter. And in those leagues, ideally, I like to get two quarterbacks in the first four rounds, but some fantasy players like to dominate the position in a super flex draft and two quarterbacks in the first two rounds. We'll be back with more fantasy advice next week here, and also make sure to go to Seahawks.com, go to the news page, click on the Fantasy Insider tab for all my preseason articles. Check me out at thegameday.com and also on social media at King. Back to you, Jen and John. Thank you, Scott. Back to what we have seen from Geno Smith at camp. John? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it's so different. You go back to last year. He's the guy who's in here competing. It's a wide-open competition. A lot of people thought Drew Locke was ultimately going to be the starter, and Geno Smith just never let go of that job. Now he comes in. He's a pro bowler. He led the NFL in completion percentage. He's the AP comeback player of the year. I mean, he is the guy now. He just got a new contract. And, you know, yet you ask him, he says, you know, everything's still the same. He sells everything to prove. But there is a difference just in terms of, A, the preparation is going to be better because he gets those extra reps. But, B, it you know, from a leadership, from, I mean, he was always confident, but I think it just sort of bleeds into the whole team of, like, they know he's the guy. He's our guy. We've seen him do it, and he's got a bigger leadership role because he's that number one quarterback. He also gets more reps with the ones. Exactly. Last year, they were splitting them so yeah. that they could evaluate. Yeah. Well, and it kind of cracks me up. A lot of people, you hear this argument like, oh, it's a fluke. Can he do it again? It's like he did that with split reps in training camp and not having been a starter for eight years. So like now he's coming back another year in this offense, a full year of starting under his belt, and a full training camp as a number one guy. Like There's every reason for him to be better. He also spent the offseason traveling around to spend time with his yeah, offensive I like teammates. That. Like individually. Individually, kind of wherever they were. I found that out when I was doing an interview with him at T Mobile Park before he threw out the first pitch for the Mariners game, which is awesome. And I love seeing my sports worlds collide. You know, when I don't <laughs> like seeing them collide is when the Mariners have a third baseman that's called Gino and the Seahawks have a quarterback that's called Gino. And I have inadvertently called the third baseman a quarterback any number of times. So now they're just Geno's in my book. So if I ever just just pause the first name basis, that is all we need on that front. 
Yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing when that happens, and I hope fans understand. I love both Genos, and both are great at playmaking. I also think year two in Shane Waldron's system makes a difference, and I think that everybody has settled in in a different way this year compared to last. It's not just Gino. Yeah. It's DK. It's Tyler. It's Ken Walker knowing that he's the starter from yep. week one. Rashad Penny ripped off some great games before he was hurt and then came over and Ken came in and still rushed for over a thousand yards. But I think all of that together, it just points to good signs for Gino. Yeah. I mean, offensively, as you said earlier, there's not a lot of questions. I mean, there's, there's a good battle going on at center is kind of the one seemingly open starting job right now, but the continuity is great. The pieces they've added, you know, Charbonnet and Jackson Smith and Jigba, most notably, you're, I just think there's a ton of firepower there that's going to really help Geno Smith's job be that much easier. Jackson said he is excited for the mock game because he wants to play at Lumen Field. He wants, a get, wants to get a taste of what the 12s are like on game day. I know sometimes we kind of overlook the mock game just a little bit because it's we, we see these guys go against each other in practice every day, right? Is there anything that intrigues you, though, about how things work mock game versus anything else? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a little more game-like for the players in terms of the situations. You don't have this scripted practice where it's just going through these sessions. It's, you know, they play it out much more like a scrimmage. And I think what Pete really likes about it is they treat it like a game day in terms of, players leaving from the hotel on buses and they, you know, they go through the stadium the same way they're for the new guys are experiencing being in that locker room. So it's just, it's the same thing the preseason games do for them. It just helps them get ready. So nothing's going to feel new and weird when they get to the game's account, they'll, they'll feel like they've been through it. And it is fun for the fans. It is. Yeah. I mean, it is more, you know, it's much more real football looking action than a, than a practice out here is they do get a little more physical tackling wise. It's still not, you know, they're not going to be out there trying to blow each other up with huge hits, but we'll see more tackling. We'll see, you know, just again, it, it looks more like football than anything we'll have seen up to that point. I was going to say, it's going to feel like football. It means that we're getting closer to week one. Yes. It's exciting. Times. That's how we started the podcast. That's how we're going to end it. Yes. Thanks for joining us this time. We are going to be back on a much more regular basis all throughout the season on the Seahawks insiders podcast. We'll